Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. This episode is a 10-page podcast all about one of his short stories. Get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Barks Remarks. We are here with a new episode of the 10-page podcast. I'm Mark Severino. I am a grown man who likes talking about duck comics, and I am joined by a new guest, another grown man who um, <laughs> also likes talking about them and, uh, and, and has other involvement. So why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Fad Komarowski, and I am a 20-year or so veteran of the Disney comics as a professional. Yes, I did work on them when I was a teenager. And Carl Barks has remained my all-time favorite cartoonist, and I'm thrilled to be here, Mark. Excellent. Yeah, thank you so much for joining joining Thad. I, I really appreciate it. I have delusions of grandeur, so it's <laughs> it's uh, great to get to meet people who've got some involvement with the comics and, and just to chat with longtime Barks fans. I should mention our, our story that we're covering today is, is a doozy. Oh, yeah. absolutely. We've got the classic 10-pager, The Terror of the Beagle Boys. But before we get into it, Thad, uh, do you mind telling us a little bit more about, you know, your involvement with the comics? Well, it's interesting. I did not read the Disney comics really a lot as a child. I got into them as a teenager, actually, because of my interest in the classic Hollywood and New York animated cartoons of the Golden Age. And I was starting to run out of cartoons to watch. So I went to the comics and I sort of found out what a lot of other people did, that the Disney comic universe is a lot richer than its animated counterpart as far as actually engaging characters. And of course, uh, Carl Barks uh, rose to the top of my list. Um, and as I said before, he remains my all-time favorite cartoonist. I, I should add, I did meet Carl as a child at a show with my father, but I had no idea who he was at the time ah. and could not appreciate it. I just saw this ancient, ancient man there <laughs> and he was just very warm and you know when, when you're a child sometimes there's like you know wow who, who is this guy you know and it, it sort of stayed in my mind a little bit but it, it pushed out it pushed out because you know he, you know when I was a kid you know it was like okay this uh, guy wasn't involved with the Looney Tunes he wasn't involved with the Muppets I don't know who he is and then it came back and a couple of years into my rereading of the story it's like I think I met him and I asked my late father, he was like, I think you did too. Let, let me check and oh, yeah, you did. We don't have any, I don't have any photographic evidence, unfortunately, but, um, and I did not get to have any conversations, but as I was a child at the time, I don't want to have any delusions of grandeur that that would have been a very important conversation. Still, that's a, that's a pretty big, like uh, retroactive thrill. Right. You, you can say that and, and no one can take that away from you. No, no, they can't. So that's that's awesome. Um, I I like what you said about the the Disney cartoons, you know, and and the the difference between the comics and and the cartoons. I I grew up small child, just consuming the Disney cartoons. I loved them. Mm -hmm. Um, 
watched them over and over you know it's how I got into the comics and mm-hmm. but but like you say once you kind of make once I made that transition I was like wow there's <laughs> there's just this this gulf between the two of them and uh, and it wasn't until much later that I had a good idea of just how much involvement Carl Barks himself actually had with some of those cartoons. Oh, yes, absolutely. He was, uh, in fact, one of the main writers, of course, as you've discussed, of the Donald cartoons for at least seven years or so. So you mentioned like the classic New York cartoons, you know, that, you, that you're a fan of. Is, mm-hmm. is that stuff like like the Fleischer? Yes, the cartoons? Fleischer's. Yep. The yeah. Fleischer Studio uh, by Max and Dave. Yes, they were the main competition for Disney in the 30s. And right. you can totally see why Popeye the Sailor eclipsed Mickey Mouse. And oh, man. Is, so. I, 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 every couple of years, I have to watch Sinbad. Um, oh, absolutely. Popeye yep. and Sinbad. Yep. That's, that's just... so. And you have your own podcast, right? That you... I do. It's sparingly updated. We actually just put up a new episode. Um, it's called Cartoon Logic. I co-host it with my longtime friend, uh, animation director Bob Jakes, who was the animation director on Ren and Stimpy. And we actually did do... Cartoon cartoon by cartoon breakdown of all the Fleischer Popeye shorts um, that was behind a paywall on our Patreon site. But we do plan on making those Popeye podcasts uh, public. Yeah, I'll be sure to check that out because I I have I'm the kind of person who has the appetite to listen to a couple of grown men talk about a classic Popeye cartoon, as you might be able to guess. Right. No, they're uh, they they actually helped me appreciate them even more, uh, especially with Bob, because an animator of his caliber, it's usually always, oh, Disney, Disney, Disney. But uh, Bob is all about the Fleischers and what they brought. Very cool. That, that's great. I, I will be sure to check it out. Let's uh, let's go ahead and transition into, as I said, Terror of the Beagle Boys. This one, it should be said right away, is very notable. Thad, why don't you tell us why this one is so notable? Well, as listeners may have guessed, this is the very first appearance of the Beagle Boys, the arch rivals of Scrooge McDuck, the ones who are always trying to rob him. And they only appear at the very end of the story. It's all about the threat of them in this 10-pager. And it's one of the more ingenious stories that Carl Parks did because, Mark, as you, as I saw in your notes, this is very much staged like a play because almost the entirety of the story takes place in one room and with only the two characters, Donald and Scrooge, except yeah. for two walk-ons of a messenger boy and the Beagle Boys at the very end. Yeah, absolutely. That that nails it. It's it's great. It's it's the kind of staging that you can picture theater notes for, right? Mm-hmm. Stage direction for. And it's very much the kind of staging that I did not appreciate as a kid. No. Right? Like I I went back to this one um, later on and I was like, oh, this is hilarious. This is ingenious. But as a kid, this was an incredibly frustrating. It, It would be like taking a small child to see Waiting for Godot. 
Yes, exactly. Well, that's the brilliant thing about Karl Barks is that he's clearly writing these for kids where, you know, you might be a little frustrated as a kid, but there's still fu- funny stuff going on. Right. A little bit of slapstick, actually quite a bit of slapstick towards the end. But Carl was writing these for smarter kids, uh, which we became as we grew up. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just can keep going back and back to these. And this is definitely firmly in Carl's golden age, um, which was roughly uh, 48 to 54, 55 or so, especially these 10 pagers. I'm glad you're doing episodes on them because they're almost consistently all little gems. Yeah, for sure. I, um, you know, I, I really changed gears a bit and, and I had to almost force myself to start doing <laughs> the 10 pagers right. and no regrets because no. I, I would have missed so much if I didn't cover these. And and, you know, they don't require as much preparation, um, which is nice. It, it helps me keep up my my crazy breakneck release schedule. But uh, mm-hmm. but they're they're so fun to talk about. So you mentioned Golden Age. No arguments there. That's a good segue for for the little the background details. This one came out in the, the publication date is November of 1951. And it, it was, of course, published in Walt Disney's Comics and Stories for the States. There have been a, a decent number of reprints. Counting the original, we've got seven printings. Mm. But but that I, I noticed something interesting scrolling through index is that this one has like more countries of publication than these stories typically do. There's like countries that I've never seen <laughs> listed like Faroe Islands and Mm. latvia Ah. turkey chimes in yugoslavia i see yugoslavia occasionally but a lot of these don't make it to to this many countries so i think it's fair to say that this is kind of like one of the ur uncle scrooge stories right this has a bunch of hallmarks of the character Mm. so so it, it just it's a good one to print because it's it's kind of the essence of the character correct and i would and i think too a lot plays into it is you don't need to understand American culture really to get all of the humor. This is purely about the characters all throughout. Yeah, it's it's very character driven in the in the way that the best bark stories are. Let's see. Sometimes I'll cover trivia and and other interesting facts about these. You know, we can we can talk about that kind of organically. And we've already mentioned. Um, the first appearance, but um, anything that you'd like to queue up or mention before we kind of dive into the story itself? Um, not particularly, but this always seems to be a go-to story when uh, a new licensor comes into the American publishing of Disney Comics. They'll run this story. It was in the very first Gladstone Uncle Scrooge issue, mm-hmm. and I believe it was in the first Gemstone Uncle Scrooge issue as well. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I don't have the first gemstone. I do have that. I, it, it might be. It, I might be off on that. I seem to recall that, but you know, I have a no fact checking rule for the ten page <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> Of course, this uh, became the uh, title headline story for the Fantagraphics collection that reprints yeah. them. So K- kind of surprising when you consider some of the heavy hitters that that are. Yeah, in I was that looking one. at it, looking at the, I was. I, that's the version I have in front of me right now because that's the one with Dangerous Disguise and Old California and No Such Varmint in it. So you figured they would want to use one of those for it, but uh, right. I 
kind of, I, I got to give them credit that they did use Tear of the Beagle Boys because it really is, it, it, well, I'm just looking at it, and this is a very strong book. Um, if you were trying to convince someone of Karl Barks' greatness, this would be a good one to point them to. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you got to hand it to them. I, I appreciate the boldness of that choice. Yeah, it's definitely an essential story. I did forget that I, I did want to cover some of the, a couple of the foreign language titles. So we'll, we'll do that before we jump on in. I like to pick a couple of these to pander to the listeners from around the world, but especially Northern and Western Europe. So let's see, why don't I start off with Swedish? All right, so in Sweden, this one is called Kanonvakten, which just means the cannon guard. And in Italy, this is called La Banda de Seguji, the band of hounds. Which I think refers to the beagles themselves. Yes. Um, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna go with German, der Selbststuch, the the self shot. I, I really like that one. It's it's a bit of a spoiler, but not until you realize what happens at the end. <laughs> and in France, this is known as Les Repetu Reflentu, the Repetu Take Everything. Another spoiler. <laughs> Yeah, and I think the Rapetu are the beagles in in France. Right. Um, kind of interesting. I, I think in Italian, you, you've you've done some of the localizing, right? Yes, I, I have. In Italian, the beagles are like a different dog, right? Are they dachshunds or something like that? You know what? I don't know that offhand, but I can't really fault anyone because one of my questions is the beagle boys look nothing like beagles, so sure. you know that's a localization liberty. Yeah, hounds works pretty well. All right, so Thad, we're gonna we're gonna get into it. We're each gonna sure. describe a, a page and and Alrighty. offer up some some incisive commentary on on the page. <laughs> Thad, I I love how the this story opens. Oh right? God, I, yes, it's one of it, the best ever. It, it is a classic opening. We've got Donald clearly in Scrooge's office. He is pacing and he is bemoaning or wailing. He he is clearly concerned. And and what, what this page does so wonderfully is that it it kind of throws the reader in. We just see Donald looking worried and pacing back and forth and it intrigues us. And then we pan back and we see Uncle Scrooge busily counting his money. And Donald is asking him, he's saying that he's been pacing the floor for four hours. And he and he asks his uncle if he can stop and rest. And Scrooge tells him he can't rest because he's being paid 30 cents an hour to do his worrying for him. And, and again, it's this great setup because you're like drawing the reader in first mm -hmm. off. What is Donald doing? Oh, and, and then it explains he's Scrooge has outsourced his worrying to him. Right. Which, again, just leads to some more intrigue. Yes, this is a yes. As I said, this is one of Carl's most ingenious stories in that we don't really get to the plot until a quarter of way in because this is all just leading up to it. This is completely unnecessary, but it's brilliant in every way you're, you're right though it's all intrigue at mm -hmm. the very beginning so donald continues and scrooge and one of the great carl barksisms says put more boom in those groans <laughs> and when i pay a man big money to worry for me i expect him to scream and howl and tear his hair and scrooge goes on saying that's better you know as donald pours on the theatrics some more 
And he's saying how, you know, for 30 cents, he expects the worst. And Donald brings up something the reader's probably wondering. You haven't told me what I'm to worry about. And Scrooge, of course, is losing his mind because he thinks this has all been for nothing. If he's just been paying Donald for four hours, it's $1.20 wasted. And uh, Donald- He's just, forgotten. Yes, he's forgotten what he was paying Donald to worry about. And that's a, that's a classic. Again, another classic Marxism, as we'll see in- in, uh, later stories where Scrooge's uh, preoccupation with his fortune has made him forget about more pertinent matters. It's so classic that that idea that he's outsourced his worrying so that he doesn't have to think about it, and then he can't even um, he can't even remember what he's supposed to have, have worried about. It's it's awesome, and I do love how Donald really throws himself at this point mm-hmm. into the worrying. This does remind me; it does evoke back to the Klondike. Right. Mm-hmm. Where he 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 has trouble with his memory. So this is mm-hmm. kind of around the same era. Um, yeah. Fairly close. So we've, we've uh, got a year or two before. But yeah, because so, this is when this is when Barks has really honed Scrooge into his own. And he's not just a supporting character for Donald. He's become his own character, which is why he's sort of has overtaken this story. And when it gets reprinted, they blotted out Donald Duck and put Uncle Scrooge. So a lot of people wouldn't know the difference. Exactly. Yeah, this is one of those where either character could technically get get billing. So on the third page, um, they're interrupted by a knock at the door and uh, we get another classic Scrooge touch Mm -hmm. where he's going to he's going to greet the intruder by an almost lit cannon. And it's followed immediately by another super classic Barxism where a, a messenger boy opens the door and it's one of these just utterly ancient messenger boys Thad, i love barks like over the top old man messenger boys oh yes this is this this goes back to a lot of um carl's uh, animation roots and print cartooning roots in the 30s because this is a trope that would show up then you know the messenger boy is really this ancient bearded old man um listeners if you're familiar with a frank tashlin porky pig cartoon cartoon Porky at the Crocodero. Uh, it has some, it has a similar gag in that one as well. So, you know, it's it's something, you know, Carl is a pure gag cartoonist at heart sometimes. And, you know, this is just something he throws in for a cheap laugh and it gets the laugh. Because... I, it definitely, it definitely does. I appreciate you mentioning that because I've wondered out loud before when I did the episode for Super Snooper. I, mm. I assumed that this is a long running trope, yeah. right? but I couldn't think of like another example. And this is the third time <laughs> in the course of doing the podcast that I've seen right. him do it. Yeah. So the, the messenger boy, Sonny, as he calls him, you know, <laughs> asks him what his telegram is. And the guy reveals that it's from the chief of police. And, and so again, the camera is sort of pulling back more. So we're, we're, we're getting this information dripped. He learns that the chief of police has told him the Beagle Boys have eluded the police, be on guard. And uh, that's what Donald is supposed to be worrying about, the terrible Beagle Boys. And, and we get a, a, a nice classic shot of Scrooge kicking Donald in the bum and, and chastising him to get back to worrying. Mm-hmm. And of course, Donald is going back into the theatrics, but Scrooge is telling him to do several things at once. You know, think of a way to stop those robbers. And that's a big plot hole in the story that that is kind of Carl's joke. You know, it's like, 
where are the guards for this fortune that Scrooge right. is keeping in his office? It's it's it really is just we're we're supposed to believe it is just him, but that's that's the beauty of Carl Barks. You know, you don't really think of that until you know your eighth or tenth rereading of the story. And of course, there's the this other joke of that would become a long standard. Uh, how much money have you got here, Uncle Scrooge? How do would I how would I know? It would take thirteen years to count it, and <laughs> sends Donald back to worrying. And Donald gets the idea. Well, why don't you use the cannon you just almost shot the messenger boy with? And uh, Scrooge's absent-mindedness. Uh, oh, what, what, why didn't I think of that? And he's ready to fire it at, at will. And and I love that. Again, that in itself is a great gag that he was like ready on a moment's notice to obliterate whoever might randomly call on him and didn't think to use it against the Beagle Boys. Mm-hmm. And this next page is awesome because it's it's really about the canon itself, um, <laughs> yes. which which is kind of this like little it's it's one of the totems of Scrooge McDuck. Not Absolutely. as much, Absolutely. Like, like not as much as his his number one dime or or, his, or the bin itself or the bin itself or even I, his spats I, and cane. But right. but but it's what we Barks fans we love this detail, right? And yes. and and it's not the first time that he's used this cannon i think that was in the pixelated parrot um, right not too long before this but this is the first time that he's he's referenced donald asks him if the powder in it is fresh Mm -hmm. and and he says well sure i bought it loaded right after the war and donald asks him which war and he says the boer war don't be so doggone dumb yes that's one of my favorites i try to work it in any story i localize with the canon i always try to make sure that there's a boer war reference and of course donald's being a smart ass here just because he knows how frugal his uncle is like you know he he definitely did not fill this after world war ii so uh which war is a legitimate question right and and it's such a great reference for the reader right like world war ii was was pretty darn fresh at this point but Mm -hmm. clearly didn't have cannons Mm -hmm. um of of this type and and the boer war if if listeners don't know was just before the turn of the 20th century Mm -hmm. um it's like just obscure enough to i feel i feel like it's a perfect punchline right it's like it's like the old um comedy uh, about the words that are funny right there are Mm -hmm. just some some words with with the certain types of sounds for whatever reason the idea of this canon being from the boer war is inherently funny to me yes sad oh it's a a great prop and so is the uh queen's victoria royal artillery yes yes he 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 starts to get nervous right scrooge gets nervous because donald's pointed out the powder might be low and as you say we see it labeled as as such queen victoria's um so as donald leaves rubbing his aching back from his uh hour four hour and 10 minutes work where you earned a dollar 22 cents scrooge is just utterly loading the cannon full of powder not not knowing how much is necessary and so and so we continue this play like story with scrooge waiting for the beagle boys here here we go he's waiting for godot yeah. <laughs> he's waiting and falling more and more asleep and he's you know it's long past bedtime and those lazy robbers haven't showed up yet because you know he's just itching for a fight because he went <laughs> through all of this 
and he can't hold his eyes open much longer. So he phones poor Donald for help and Donald threatens him that he's not getting out of bed for any less than 50 cents an hour. Uh, Scrooge cusses him out and Donald's right over and he falls flat on his face asleep as soon as he gets there and Scrooge says, oh, you're going to be a lot of help. But both ducks, the 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 expressiveness in this story, oh, yes. they, they're both just the, the very picture of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Um, the previous pages, you know, where Scrooge is looking, looking nervous and desperate and then Donald's faux desperation. It, it's, it's great. It's why this story is great. So, so both ducks are basically fighting to stay awake and they're like stressed out about Scrooge, especially is stressed out about how to stay awake. And, and um, so he, he tells him to go back to worrying to figure oh, yes, out a way that's to. That's the best. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And Donald gets another, another epiphany. He says, "I've got it. I figured it out." And as Scrooge asks him what, he Pratt falls asleep yes. immediately. Just, yes. just perfect timing. Yes, it's uh, it's uh, it it shows how Barks mastered this medium. You know, he uh, you know he's he's eager to tell the idea, and he immediately falls flat on his face. So pa- and he's so passed out. Scrooge has to dump a bucket of water on him. Right. Like, and what was the idea? And so when Donald does wake up, um, he tells him his idea is to rig the cannon like a like a spring gun so that the first person who opens the door is, is obliterated. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, this this is a comic book. This is the Disney comic universe. Mm-hmm. So Scrooge thinks it's a genius idea, despite, again, if anyone takes a moment to think about this, we've got some pretty major issues of liability mm-hmm. um, and entrapment here. Right. But we are we are in that universe universe right and so they and so they rig up the cannon and this is very cartoonish going back to barks's days as a gag cartoonist at both the studio and in print and it's of course a gloved hand striking the man so just so we know that we're in a disney comic yeah you know the, the match lights the fuse the cannon shoots and bluey goes to beagle boys and it's like now remember don't open it too wide you know it's just foreshadowing what immediately is to follow <laughs> and as they leave for the night donald reminds him yeah still owe me 25 cents for the half hour's work and uh-oh <laughs> And yeah, of course. Yeah. And of course, since Scrooge is preoccupied with paying Donald, he's not going to remember what he was just told. Right. We, we've just basically the prospect of paying some money is is going to like etch a sketch his brain. And so <laughs> so on on to the next page, Scrooge turns to unlock his office while Donald catches a quick snooze. Yes, <laughs> I love that detail. He's already passed out and he passes through the ensuing shenanigans and scrooge just opens the door with such confidence and just just so determinedly and so wide and the reader knows immediately what's about to happen and the shot of scrooge the perspective drawing of him facing the cannon Mm -hmm. is just just fantastic (laughs) and and so the predictable happens right he he sets off the cannon he exclaims um in in fear and then he slams the door closed mm-hmm. as though as though that's going to do anything 
And fortunately, he manages to duck before the cannonball smashes straight through the door, straight through the wall of what what is still the McDuck office building, not the money bin at this point. And then because of the excess of powder that he used, uh, we see it go through three additional buildings. Yes, it wrecks, wrecks three additional buildings, and there's that great word balloon with of the understated heavens to Betsy. Heavens to Betsy. Yes, yes. yes. We don't we don't see him use that kind of exclamation much. I don't think going forward. But th- but this is a great moment. And on the final page, it shows a pretty contrived bit of cartooning with uh, the Bouncy Beauty Mattress Factory being the last building the cannonball goes through. And it springs it back, goes right back into the McDuck building. Uh, Scrooge exclaims, my land's the Goshen! And of course, destroys the safe wall, destroys the back of the bin wall, well, the quasi-bin wall. And my safe, my whole money bin has been busted like a paper bag. And it spills onto the street where we see for the very first time the Beagle Boys shoveling, literally shoveling the money away off the street on the public property. And Scrooge is chasing Donald off, you know, you and your bright ideas. And Donald is preoccupied with his own concern of, never mind the sarcasm, you still owe me 25 cents. And I think this is about as perfect a 10-page story Carl ever did, you know, because, you know, we, we would get to, we would, it's kind of like a disappointment sometimes, I guess, when you're a younger reader and you're told, oh, this is the first, this is the first Beagle Boy story. It's like, they don't show up till the very last panel, and they don't show up until the very last panel of the next story they're in either. And I just think that I don't think he could have ended it any more perfectly because it was really, you know, just the titular terror of the Beagle Boys that that's the star of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfectly said. I I totally agree with you, right? Um, what you said about this being kind of a disappointment to a kid is true, especially like in the era of reprints, right? Yeah, where yeah. Where you're reading these out of order. So like I, I had that experience where... I I had read a couple hundred stories before I'd read, say, Christmas on Bear Mountain Mm -hmm. and and really became preoccupied with how weird that like very first version of Uncle Scrooge that I was so familiar with was. And and it takes a few rereadings to kind of get past it if you're a kid and and to be able to appreciate the story itself. And and in this one, the Beagle Boys, they're, they're one little postscript appearance they look <laughs> they look so goofy and so right. weird thad what 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 is so weird about them in this one well they, they almost look like generic villains you know the more like the uh thugs that were in the pixelated parrot the prototype beagle boys there you know the original coloring uh makes sure to uh give them all different color shirts uh they don't have the prison numbers on their uh shirt just yet right. um, but of course this this is, you know, this is still, it's the first story ever with them. And you've just got to uh, appreciate it for what it is. And what it, it, what it is, it's just about Donald and Scrooge's own psyche and relationship. And, and because it epitomizes that relationship so spectacularly well, it's sort of like petty to get on how, well, the Beagle Boys aren't actually really in this. This is just a brilliant bit of storytelling and cartooning. Yeah. 
Absolutely, right? They're completely incidental to the story, except as this like looming threat. I imagine it might have even crossed his mind, who knows, to like not even have them at the end, right? Because you don't really need them. The point of the story is not the Beagle Boys. Right. They also have hats, like caps, kind of like the (laughs) nephews. Right, right, right. And I'm wondering, you've got the uh, Fantagraphics, which is like a reprint of the original. Does it say Beagle Boys like incorporated on their their buckets? It just says Beagle Boys. The incorporation hasn't been established yet. Okay, yeah. Because I I saw reading a little background, I guess some reprints, they would like erase the incorporated for some reason. Like you said, it probably hadn't been established at this point. They but have, they have, there's a lot of inconsistencies in the printings. Um, the fanographics, just for the record, for all listeners, they do try to make it as close to the original Western publication as possible. And that goes for some of that uh, spectacularly crappy coloring, but uh, I digress. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I get what the mission is, right? They're trying to reproduce them for, for that type of collector but um boy there are some just lovely coloring editions of these stories by like people like sue daigle leach oh yeah um, the, leech, the leeches and uh the late scott rockwell um they did fantastic jobs with uh these printings i tend to not like when they use gradients in the reprintings i just don't think it looks particularly right but um readers should be aware that the leeches are uh, intermittently and the leeches are involved more now with the fanographics books and even using the limited palettes they're done a lot more tastefully and they look a lot better i just wish that they got involved a lot earlier well that is that is good to know i i'm glad to hear that i i was thinking to myself a few weeks ago in the course of this project that like I might have read more pages of um, leech work than like any other creator when you when, right. you, think about when it. you think about it. Yeah, no, uh, Sue and Gary. Uh, yeah, they're 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 heroes of mine, uh, just like Scott. And you know, I think what they do is underappreciated by a lot of fans. Yeah, um, coloring and, very and, underappreciated. Well, and I'll go on record as saying that um, while there might be, you know, arguing online over it, Carl Barks himself was very appreciative over what Gladstone and Onward uh, did with his stories because he always despised the Western coloring. Yeah, that that's another good point to make. The the coloring on those stories really elevated them. Oh, absolutely. So, so you know we're we're in we're in agreement, right? This this story is is a tight and mm-hmm. incredibly well paced bit of character study, uh, slapstick buffoonery. It mm-hmm. it is super funny, and I'm I'm really glad to have like gone through it in a, in this kind of excruciating right. detail. No, it's just to keep repeating ourselves. It's a justifiably famous story, and it's just. Really, the two characters, Donald and Scrooge, and their element. And and as we've discussed, and hopefully you've realized, this is why all the publishers keep going back to this story as a highlight. Yeah, for sure. And, th- and this is definitely one that I've like developed, you know, a new um, appreciation for mm-hmm. in the course of doing this. Because I, I remembered it pretty well, but as I revisited, I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this one. This is amazing. And the community is in in wide agreement with this one, you know. As if they you, should be. 
as they definitely should be. If, if you look it up on index, you'll find that it is one of the very highest rated of, of all the 10 pagers. I made a little list at one point where I plucked those out. Terror of the Beagle Boys ranks as the fourth highest rated of Bark's 10 pagers. Now, now overall, it gets a 7.7, which is good for 159th out of all 41,000 some Disney comics. So very high esteem. I don't think it's I don't think it's inflation, right? Because no. of that first appearance of the Beagle Boys. No, I think it, people are justly remembering this. They're justly remembering it. And as you said at the top of the podcast, this has been reprinted in places that usually don't see reprints. So it's everyone, every faithful reader of the Duck Comics knows it. And, you know, it, it just shoots up just like the Omelet story and, uh, oh God, uh, the Hypno Gun story and a few others. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just remember that as the classic of the yeah. pagers. Yeah, justly remembered, legendary, a lot of fun. So we, we've had a great conversation. Um, the best way to wrap it up is, is to do our little favorite panel feature. We've got a ton of them and we've highlighted a few, but Thad, are there any that you would like to call special attention to? Let me see. The the Boar Ward, don't be so doggone dumb. Uh, just It's just like in my permanent lexicon, just that line. And of course, the, the shot of the, uh, the buildings being destroyed by the cannon with the understated Heavens to Betsy. Those are just two of my favorite Barks panels ever. And of course, as you said, the perspective shot of Scrooge looking into the cannon. Yeah, that that one is is definitely a winner. The penultimate panel of the money pouring out of the bin is quite lovely. It's some nice art. Uh, not the first time, not the last time that we'll see money pouring out of the bin. I have kind of a weird one, you know, because I grew up in the era of reading the Gladstone comics. They used one of these panels as like one of their, you know, in-house ads. And it's the one of Donald at his most melodramatic saying, ski reach, yow, the Beagle Boys, yow. And there's a reason that they use that one. You know, he's like curled over practically horizontally, um, really giving giving his job of being Scrooge's worrier his his absolute best. He's he's earning that 30 cents an hour there. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I love that one. Uh, Let's see. Sometimes I do talk about like, references to other sequels right like it i guess it bears mentioning that the beagle boys are going to be a character that has like a pretty long afterlife right oh because yes they'll be used in dozens of stories by barks um, and other creators they will be adapted into the ducktales cartoons they get their own pretty crummy comic book line into the 70s under the Whitman imprint. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there's some decent stories through that. But. There might be. I wouldn't count on it, but they did. Int- they even got their own nephews, the Beagle Brats. Right. Um, and uh, no, they're, I, I just think they're the perfect adversaries for Scrooge. You know, they're, they're stupid and they're, un- un- they're slovenly, you know, but they're also an organized crime family. And, you know, that's just Scrooge's worst nightmare. And I think, you know, 
Carl just came up with something really brilliant with them and, you know, paying homage to all the uh, crooks and bandits of the comic strips he grew up reading or read as he was a professional cartoonist. And, you know, this one holds up very nicely. Sometimes I talk about how these have aged well or poorly. Uh, Apart from like references to the Boer War canon, this is such a timeless story. You could it's it's very universal, like we've already said. Honestly, see elements like that Boer War gag you know that well kids you gotta go read something else sometime why don't you look up what that thing just look it up you know you you learned something that day (laughs) and um but yeah this is just and i think that goes without saying why it was so heavily reprinted like we said earlier there's nothing that dates it there's no real cultural aspect to it it's just very universal all the way around yeah and and i i think that we uh we did a great job with this one I think we covered what we needed to. So yeah, listeners, thank you for joining us. Hopefully you took the opportunity to revisit this great 10-pager. Um, listen to the other great episodes. Uh, comment on the Facebook page. And uh, we will hear from you next time. Just, um, you know, duck as you ring our doorbell. <laughs>